Welcome to the uh, Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell, and we got my good buddy, Rio Veronier, in the other hot seat. Hey, guys. Uh, so today, we're going to kind of do a bit of an app-end on a discussion we've been happening around the new narrative, uh, the, the, the kind of gestalt way that we want to approach uh, uh, politics and party politics uh, and the different uh, uh, fabrics and coalitions that are developing um, you know, in, in the Trump era and after that, because hopefully the Trump era is going to last about another uh, couple, three hours. So uh, real thinks we've got it down. I, I, think, that's, I think that's probably accurate. We're going to move away from the narrative of uh, division to one of cohesion. Um, you know, again, even just getting rid of the, the, um, the idea that we have to, to, to give things up as opposed to creating consensus around positions, I think is, is, is part of that as well. So uh, we're going to talk about the real divide. We're going to talk about claiming your agency, uh, um, you know, versus uh, taking responsibility, which I, I love that reframe, to be honest. Uh, and the idea that we want to encourage people to uh, be heard as a way to uh, de-radicalize the, uh, the populace. Um, so, yeah, Rio, maybe walk us through how your thinking has been evolving around that over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm really feeling more and more like we have to double down on this idea that progressives and conservatives need to work together and, and on the idea that progressivism and conservatism are not mutually exclusive but that they actually work with each other. They balance each other out. Um, and, and the only way for a society to move forward is for those two political traditions to work together. Um, so I know there's going to be a lot of pushback on that. Um, and a lot of people like to think of, um, you know, conservatives as the enemy and a lot of conservatives like to think of progressives as the enemy. A few episodes from now, we're actually going to have somebody on who is a lifelong Democrat who's been turned off by what he sees as radical elements of the progressive left. So I think that we, we I think, I think that part of teasing this apart is to make a distinction between what we mean by progressive and conservative versus what we mean by radical. It's, if you, if you think about it, if you're, if you're an extremist of any sort, it actually benefits you to persuade the public that the only alternative is another extreme, right? So it's like, if you don't, if you don't embrace full authoritarian communism, then the Nazis are going to win, right? Or vice versa. And the Nazis are saying this as well. They're saying like, if you don't, you know, if you go, if you don't go with us and let us destroy democracy, then the mob is going to turn us into a communist dictatorship. So what we need to do is, I think a narrative of cohesion needs to be one that focuses on defining conservatism and progressivism as, as compatible rather than as opposites and, and getting past this idea that our enemies are people who disagree with us about policy, but rather our enemies are the people who are trying to destroy democracy itself. I, I like the way you frame that. And, and I'm starting to sort of uh, uh, kind of deepen my understanding of the, the, the great divide because I'm, coming into contact with people that seem like helpers to me and people that seem like they want to burn shit down. Um, and again, the burn shit down crew obviously can be coming from uh, uh, the Bernie camp or even beyond that, or they can be basically any Trump supporter, right? Because no Trump supporters for any policies that I've seen uh, that aren't basically, let's put more brown people in camps. Like they're, they're really fucking bad, right? Uh, so it's not a policy fight anymore. And, and I've noticed and this sort of comes up as kind of a bit, a bit of a joke, but it's not like, 
I want to go back to the days when I'm arguing with Steve Schmidt and Mitt Romney about, about policy, right? But we can't, we can't at all do that until we realize that the, those people are going to be accepting reality, generally speaking, right? The, the, the kinds of people that are not helping right now don't understand democracy. I think willfully sometimes, they don't want to, right? If you, they, they definitely don't know what a Supreme Court is or that it might be important. They're not framing their arguments really, although they try to make you think this, especially on the progressive left, where again, I used to live. Um, they're not framing it about voting for people that are less fortunate than themselves or more vulnerable than themselves. It's about tribalism. Because I'm telling you right now, if you were voting, strictly speaking, for people that are far more vulnerable than you, you would be volunteering for Biden, period. Period. Unless there was a vulnerable Nazi who needed your help, and then you're going to vote for Trump and go fuck yourself. Right? Like, it really does come down to people that are willing to work within the system to change the system, because it definitely can be enhanced ranked choice voting, whatever, right? Um, to come together around some consensus ideals that, that, that uh, uh, you know, can give us almost a framework where we can have a policy discussion, because we're not there right now, right? Like that, the we can, deciding whether we want full Medicare for all or, you know, uh, Biden's version with an awesome public option or whatever, like, all of it's kind of fucking moot. It doesn't matter right now, because if we don't get Trump and Trump Trumpism out of this equation, and if we don't figure out how to engage with uh, uh, you know, disaffected Bernie voters who are like, oh, fucking fuck everything or whatever. Like, if we don't figure that out, then it's probably not going to matter. Like, all of it will have been kind of academic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that a narrative of cohesion um, doesn't have to be, you know, one without principles. And in fact, I, 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 think, I think that it really needs to be principle-driven. Um, so, you know, some people some people would try to say like, oh, well, that's just wishy-washy, um, you know, pro-status quo talk that's not actually going to result in progress. Um, and then Trump voters, um, by and large, are deeply hostile to the status quo as well, uh, just in a different set of ways. So anybody who wants change and they want it now, um, and they think they have all the answers and that politics is easy and governing is easy. And the only reason we don't have everything we want right now is because of the evil elites in Washington. Those people, we need to persuade some of them to see it differently. But honestly, most of them, we're not going to be able to reach. Um, what, 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 we, what we need to do is we need to focus on bringing reasonable, sane, center-left and center-right in the American spectrum sense, people together into a cohesive coalition that is about conservatives and progressives not being enemies um, and you know, doing the hard work of grown-up governance. That something that we have going for us, though, is that those people, by and large, are the ones who actually vote. They're not the ones who spend 10 hours a day arguing on Twitter, right? But part of the reason they don't is because they're not so hostile to the status quo. They're not so hostile to democracy and the rule of law and the constitution and capitalism that the only way to be heard is to go shout into the void of the internet. Um, these are people who know that the best way to be heard is to actually just show up and vote in a primary, <laughs> right? And that if, you do, yeah. if, your dog, if your pony doesn't win this time, then you suck it up, you vote for the nominee in the general, then you try again next time, right? 
So um, I, I want to try to make this argument explicitly because we've hinted on, at it, but basically the argument would go something like this. Um, if you want to achieve progress in society, right? That means that you want to make something, make it better than the status quo, right? You definitely don't want to make it worse than the status quo. That would be regress, which is the real opposite of progress. So what that means is that in order to achieve genuine progress, you actually have to also simultaneously making sure that you are preserving good aspects of the status quo at the same time, right? Because in the attempt to make progress in, sex, um, in er scenario A, you might accidentally have a side effect that causes regress in scenarios B and C, right? The next thing you know, you're going one step forward, two steps back. So progressivism actually needs conservatism to succeed. If you're not balancing out a desire to see the status quo improved with a grown-up reasonable concern about the possibility that you could accidentally cause things to go backwards and get worse than the status quo. If you take what's good about the status quo for granted, or worse, are, are willing to throw a wrench into the system just to, you know, mix things up, that's not progress. That's regress, right? And so, like, by definition, progressivism actually needs conservatism. And similarly, conservatism needs progressivism. Because if you're someone like me, for whom the status quo is working really well, right, and you completely ignore the needs of people for whom the status quo is not working, that's going to blow up in your face and the chances of people being radicalized by demagogues like Trump go up and then attacks on the status quo start happening and that also leads to regress, right? So conservatism also needs progressivism. You don't wanna be the kind of stubborn conservative who's opposed to all change. Right. You wanna be the kind of person who is choosing your battles and focusing on preserving the aspects of the status quo that are good and admitting when it can be improved. Because if you don't do that, then the parts that you should be caring the most about, they're the ones that are going to get burnt down by the mob. I, I feel like that's a good description of how sort of we've been operating. And you can sort of tell the people that, that uh, become part of the Moving Forward podcast family um, and the people that that kind of drift off, right? Because we sort of are, are taking that principled stance. Interestingly enough, as you're describing that, so we've got, you know, we started as a, a hashtag coffee started as a progressive morning show, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, through the, the this year of primaries, we absolutely said, okay, we're gonna be agnostic as far as the primaries are concerned uh, officially. So like, by all means, we wanna have everybody who's part of the primary, you know, uh, feel like they can be part of the show and make their case and yada, yada. Right. And we had, you know, uh, uh, centrist, I would say like sort of conservative Democrats um, and, uh, uh, you know, hyper lefties, <laughs> like everything, everything in between. So it was interesting sort of watching how all that filtered out. And of course, you know, my sort of main tenant, I bring this up all the time, right? You're either moving the needle or you're not. And I want to, I want to work with people that are moving the needle. Right. And one thing that you notice about the people that want to burn it down is they don't give a fuck about the needle at all. Right. If it, it's either Medicare for all, because that's a good idea. And again, coming from a guy who explicitly agrees that it's a good idea on 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 balance and ethically and morally or whatever. Right. I'm not going to sit around waiting for that dreaming and bringing in the unicorn thinking um, it, because you're literally leaving people on the side of the road without insurance in the meantime. Right. It doesn't make any sense to do that now do the work to do advocacy for it, do yada, 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 right? Like all that stuff is, is important. But at the same time, Biden is offering something that will like just legitimately fucking help people and it could pass, right? So we have to, like, like politics is this thing that is, you know, uh, um, 
frankly, exceptionally well-designed considering how far we've come, but excruciatingly frustrating um, because, you know, you, you, there's no way to do it without getting dirty. <laughs> like, you've got to get your hands dirty. And, you know, you're not going to get, by definition in democracy, you're not going to get everything you want. That's kind of the idea, right? Um, so, but it's been interesting to watch that. So, like, and again, the Republicans, I, I except for some, some notable uh, uh, exceptions, I don't get the impression that they fit in this spectrum at all. Anyone that's willing to kowtow to a demagogue, they're kind of out of the list. So we don't really have any choice but to have this discussion within the framework of the Democratic Party. Again, all of this gets blown up if we have ranked choice voting. I think it becomes even more complex and fun um, than, than I have imagined. And I spend a lot of time imagining it because of that new incentive to create coalitions uh, and you know to be free in how you're going to uh, to express your ideas, um, you know I think that that is the single biggest thing that can accelerate our movement into a, a Yang liberalism 2.0 kind of kind of world, which is why I keep harping on it, right? Because I'll tell you right now, like running third parties or fucking running Kanye West or whatever, like it literally. Again, this is for for all of you people that started uh, actually talking about this. Uh, on the interwebs, I love you and you're right. It's like shooting yourself in the dick with a bazooka. It just is. Um, and so just don't do that. And if you don't have a dick, like don't shoot yourself in any genitals with a bazooka. Because that's exactly what voting for a psychopathic, uh, uh, you know, narcissistic asshole rapper will do. I mean, um, I think we, we, we can we can all be metaphorically shooting ourselves in the dick with a bazooka, right? Because like, well, there's no real bazooka either. So we'll just let the metaphor apply. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. All right yeah. But no, uh, um, well, and, and, and from a conservative perspective, it makes sense to be willing to work with progressives on something like Biden's public option. As you said, when progressives insist that no, it has to be single payer or bust, even though only maybe 13 or 14% of the American public actually supports that policy, they're expressing an anti-democratic um, preference. And they're, they're, they're in, insofar as they're willing to, um, to use an accelerationist strategy, if they think that Donald Trump, you know, I was just talking to somebody on Twitter today who was saying this from a progressive perspective, Biden's not going to do enough. Therefore, I think Trump would be better because at least Trump will tear the system down so that we can rebuild it, right? So we had a whole episode about why the accelerationism thing doesn't work. Darkest timeline, check it out. But long story short, they are being unreasonable. They're not willing to work with the majority of Americans, and they're willing to destroy civilization itself to get their way rather than have to work with people who disagree with them. That's bullshit. Similarly, people on the conservative side, they like, nope, I'm not going to give even one inch to Biden on this public option thing. I just want to completely do away with Social Security and Medicare. Um, we've already gone too far. I don't want to do that. Those people are also signaling that they're willing to destroy civilization rather than grow up and deal with the fact that in a democracy, sometimes people don't agree with you. Right now, the majority of the public wants a public option. That's a fact, right? Which is just like, and, and so bo express. both sides who are opposing that are yeah. just anti-democratic. And if they're willing to elect a Nazi to send a signal to the establishment, which apparently is committing the egregious sin of trying to go for the thing that most Americans actually want, fuck them, you know? So like, yes, we need a, a narrative of, of cohesion, 
But it's important to note that the people we are, we do have enemies still of the, within that narrative. And the enemies are people who are opposed to cohesion. Yeah, it's just, it, it to me, I, I hate framing it with the enemies thing. Although, believe me, I, if you follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, I, I act very unilaterally in exactly that combative way. I, I really like looking for the people that are helping. Right, um, right. And, right, there's there's helpers and there's people that just clearly fucking aren't helping and they're not going to, right? So, mm -hmm. and if you're not a helper, like I'm gonna block you because I no longer have the time or the heart or the patience for you, right? And again, like I have evolved myself over the last uh, uh, four years. We actually found, Greg, uh, uh, Greg and I found the first like Facebook Live podcast that we did. And in it, and I didn't listen to it yet, but in it, apparently I said, yeah, fuck it, vote for Jill Stein. <laughs> Which, for the record, by the time the election came around, I was screaming the opposite. So yeah. I evolved. And what you'll notice, the, the, the places where I get the angriest at people are things that I have failed at myself. Um, I'm, I'm noticing a correlation. like th Things where I've evolved and I'm mad at myself for having thought or done that thing. Like not speak up loud enough about uh, uh, the fact that we should probably uh, bring in Hillary Clinton to avoid calamity, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually what started hashtag coffee is I wasn't screaming that from the rooftops enough before. So now I do it every morning, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, you know, working towards that ideal. So quite frankly, what I am doing, sitting here talking with the conservative on the movie Ford podcast, it's just, it's critical that we evolve on those things that we, that we learn. Um, and honestly, like two weeks later, I was like, holy shit, Trump is fucking terrible. This, like, you know what I mean? Like, like this was still when Trump, I think, was just winning the, uh, 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 the nomination around, around now, if I'm not mistaken, or clinching it up. And he hadn't quite become the unbelievably, like, like all the signs were there, quite frankly. But we didn't really know for sure if it was going to be a super Nazi thing or not, uh, which, of course, we do now it really is we were telling everyone that would listen that it was going to be unbelievably bad and it just is 10 times worse than anything right I've and 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 never never trump conservatives at the time were were, were saying so as well during the primary yep. um and some some of those people turned around and bit over for fascism after trump won and some of them stood their ground unfortunately the ones who stood their ground were the minority but um I would bet that the folks like Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham who did stand up to Trump until the last second and then all of a sudden they were like, oh, we love Trump. Those people are probably going to be among the first to disown him once he's ousted and humiliated and possibly jailed. Um, but there will be some people, the true Trump supporters, who will be, oh, he's a martyr, the deep state. You know, some of those people are going to stay with them forever. I agree with you that you know, I, I wasn't necessarily saying advocating that we use the word enemy. Um, I think it, that kind of rhetoric works on some people, but not other people. I was just acknowledging that within a narrative of cohesion, by definition, you do still have enemies, right? It's just that progressives and conservatives aren't, are, aren't enemies of each other. Enemies are the people who are enemies of consensus itself people who are enemies of democracy itself, people who are enemies of cohesion itself. So maybe what would be, and, and I also agree with you that wasting a lot of time angrily arguing with those people, with those enemies is actually not the most productive use of your time, right? So maybe it would be more helpful to talk about like, how do you tell whether or not somebody is a real progressive or a real conservative and therefore part of this cohesive um, movement to save America, right? versus someone who's not 
Um, and I, I have a couple ideas on that. I don't know if you'll agree with them or not yet, but I'll, I'll just throw them out real quick. They do actually lead into the claim your agency and be heard thing. But generally mm. speaking, I would say a real progressive um, from a, a philosophical perspective is, as I said, somebody who's willing to take the conservative side into, into account um, and who is very practically and pragmatically concerned, therefore, about making sure that they're not accidentally doing, going to make things worse in the process of achieving or, or in the process of seeking progress, right? So that's, that's kind of where that, that's a distinction that is about policy in part, yeah. but it's also partially just about their attitude, right? Like, you, you know what the reaction is the reaction to any, any concern from a conservative about the possible negative side effects of their policies to say, oh, well, you're just a conservative. I don't have to listen to you. That's a sign that they aren't a real progressive. Well, it, it, let's, let's maybe kind of expand it a little bit. This is the way that you initially framed that, because I, I, again, fully taking the description of the word progressive and conservative the way that you've described it, and on this show, <laughs> sort of, and like the higher poly side dimension, you know, we're not using them as tribal identifiers at all. So that's kind of an important distinction, but it, yeah. it presumes that it is a good faith argument, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what underpins the whole thing. If you're making a, 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 a truly good faith argument that, you know, hold on, like if we, if we moved, uh, well, one of the best uh, 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 good faith arguments, I think around just, just slamming into uh, um, you know, a, a single payer situation, for example, is the people that might have a better situation with their employer um, and where they might end up having to pay substantially more in taxes compared to the healthcare that they were getting before, right? So that's a thing that needs to be untangled. Now, granted, I think yeah. there's a, a technocratic solve for that, but it's a good faith conservative argument that that can't just be like thrown away, like, well, I don't really care about that, right? Like, like no, that, that those are things that need to, to actually be address and work through to produce consensus arguments that are real. Exactly. And the, so completely to your point, good faith has to go both ways. So somebody I would argue is not a real conservative. If somebody says, you know, like, no, I don't want to have a public option because that's giving too much to the progressive movement and I don't really want to give them anything. Right. That's not a good faith position either, right? And so like people who are not working to build cohesion, people who um, don't care about whether or not the majority of Americans want something, people, and, and, then, and in the case of the conservatives, it, the reason it's not conservative isn't just because the, if the argument's being made in bad faith, it's because in practice, in reality, that's going to result in much more harm to the status quo than just working with the other side does, right? Working with the other side means that you can actually continue to preserve the most fundamental things about society that we all should want to conserve, democracy and the rule of law and the constitution and capitalism. If you're a conservative, that's only going to cause um, the general public to have even more antipathy toward capitalism and the odds that we, we do get a full on socialist state actually go up. And the reason why the social compromise developed in the first place was specifically because liberals recognized they had to compromise with socialists in order to preserve the liberal free market system. If that's, they, if they hadn't like, been willing to do yeah. that, we probably already would be living in a communist society. I, I, or, or some ridiculous dystopia. Yeah, I mean, I think that- Well, the, that would be a ridiculous dystopia, but yeah, it could, it, could, it could be a fascist, like kleptocratic society too. Right, which is exactly where we're headed, you know, on, on rails right now. Um, oh, that's, yes, Corey, actually, let me get that real quick, because that's another thing, too, is if, because it, right now, if somebody isn't willing to work with progressives, and, they're, and they instead would rather side with kleptocrats, 
who are, in the case of a kleptocrat, that's actually more hostile to capitalism than just a, a, so, a, a social democrat like, um, like Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden is still wants capitalism. He still wants the separation of the state and business. He just supports yep. a public option as a way of, you know, a, a dealing with uh, externalities of the market. As a pure, a pure um, ideological capitalist, I might not like that, but I have to ask myself, like, if 57% of my fellow Americans want this, right, and I cheat to keep them from getting it, or if I'm willing to side with somebody who's going to destroy capitalism even further by allowing corporations to completely control the government, right, which is also a destruction of capitalism, that is bad, right? And that's not actually conservative. There's nothing conservative about that. So like, so the, the, so the, the radicals and the regressives that are the real enemies of progressives and conservatives, they're also people who fail to acknowledge the consequences of their dogmatic, close-minded approach to politics. Yes. Full consensus. A thousand percent agreed. Um, give that, like the, the, the people that I have met that, well, again, like the, the disaffected Bernie supporters that, for example, are like, I'm just not going to vote or I'm not voting for Biden or whatever that it just, it reeks of that privilege to me. You're in such a fancy, awesome spot or you're, 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 you're kind of stuck in some tribalism or some ignorance either way that a massive, massive, massive move just specifically in healthcare that can and will pass if we get the Senate um, and the Congress uh, that has learned tons about where the ACA didn't work and how to firm it up and how to quite frankly tell states to go fuck themselves, right? Because they, giving them the option to not do the Medicaid expansion really screwed people over and, 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 right? The, the idea that we wouldn't put our, our shoulders into that and put our backs into that, like I get, I get fucking emotional about that because you're literally sentencing people to die. You're sentencing people to suffer without insurance. You're sentencing people to uh, a financial ruin that they don't, that we could have fixed and we could have fixed that next year, but nope, you're going to vote for fucking Jill Stein or not right. vote or complain yeah. or whatever. Like it just, it's not okay. It's not okay. And we need to be better. Is there farther to go? Of course there fuck it is, right? And there always will be. When we get single payer, there's going to be another dumb thing we need to fix because we're progressives and we're always thinking about that, right? Well, and so also, like, also, like, let's not assume that progressives are ultimately going to prevail in all instances. Like, sometimes conservatives actually might be <laughs> Sometimes conservatives <laughs> might actually be right. Well, but like, Corey, this is actually a good way of kind of illustrating that point. If, yeah. you know, the election was like Joe Biden versus Mitt Romney, then I think that people who were, uh, who, who could in good faith argue against a public option from a conservative perspective would have more credibility, right? But since the alternative is Donald Trump, who is even more hostile to free market capitalism, actually not just even more is actually understating the point. Biden really isn't hostile to free market capitalism. Not he at just, all. He just supports a public option, which I can understand a lot of people oppose, and it wouldn't be my default position either, right? But if he was running against a person who was a sane, grown-up, credible conservative who was saying, like, you know, let's not do a public option, but at the who, you know, which, you know, Trump also says that, but the difference being 
Romney wouldn't also simultaneously be be like helping corporate capture of the state, right? Leading to kleptocratic yeah. oligarchy. He wouldn't be opposing free trade. It's it's really funny for somebody who opposes free trade to pretend to be this champion of capitalism, the enemy of socialism. I mean, he's like, Trump he's is like Trump is the most anti-capitalist president yeah. you've ever had. And so that's my point. It's like, you know, yeah. I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this cohesive narrative means that progressives and conservatives have to always agree on the middle ground between the two. What I'm saying is in the course of having our discussions with each other, they need to be made in good faith, one. And two, we need to be honest about what the real alternative is. All right. And then on the claim your agency thing, can you talk our listeners through, because this was actually your innovation, as I recall, Corey. Yeah. I mean, like, as opposed to, you know, the, 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 I think it's kind of weighted or, or language with a lot of baggage to it now, the whole, you know, taking responsibility for yourself, that kind of thing, right? And the, I guess the distinction here is if you're falling outside of our sort of consensus generating engine where democracy can not only survive but flourish and we can have reasoned arguments and, 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 and. and that's not to say that like it's going to be perfect in there, right? So just while you were talking about Mitterrandia, like, I think he actually could do some interesting things about healthcare, but he would still rat fuck democracy if the rest of the uh, the Republicans were doing it. Like he would sign off on that, right? Like that. Let's not let's not have a too rosy picture about what it's he like did. in the in the center because it's still fraud. Like, hold on. like I gotta get this thing. Out. He he did right, but like the the he was he was still for getting rid of the Voting Rights Act, right? Like like I'm not saying, and I want to just I want to add some nuance here, right? The whole okay. point is. In the center, it's not going to be all fucking roses and unicorns and pancakes every day, right? right? Like there, it, it is a it is a, an inherently messy system, and the leaders of those messy systems are are are, are you know with the different parties are basically corralling a bunch of drunk psychotic cats, right? Like disparate elements in their own party and messiness in their own party, like all of that's part of this, right? But if we don't get this part right, then the rest of it doesn't matter. So it. As far as finding your agency, the, the people that, that are, you know, uh, uh, thinking about voting for third party, again, whether through ignorance or arrogance or stupidity, um, I think it's kind of a bit of all three of them. They're actually pissing on their own agency because they're not actually doing anything, right? Except for, in all likelihood, whoever the, the, the bigger evil is, right? Because you didn't pick the lesser evil, the bigger evil is more likely. And that's on you, right? And again, we talk about taking responsibility for that, but I think as a frame, just grab your real agency, understanding how politics actually works in this country, as opposed to how we want it to work. Again, I talk about ranked choice voting every day, all day, right? But it's, we're not there yet. You have to be able to take control of the agency that you have, as opposed to imagining some kind of control or power that you don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't like the lesser evil um, frame. Um, I think that when you're dealing with, I can understand how people who want radical change um, that is far outside the Overton window and that the vast majority of Americans don't support might think of that as a lesser evil. But like, honestly, it would be a greater evil if a minority was able to force their will on the American people in the way that they seem to want to. And that goes with, conservatives and progressives like we should say fake conservatives and fake progressives which are radicals and regressives those people are uh, like they are the greater evil and when when you have a choice between a candidate right now where one person is part of the good side of the real divide the part of the cohesive narrative 
when you have a pro-cohesion candidate like Joe Biden, that is not just a lesser evil. That is not even just a greater good. That is good versus evil. Biden is on the side of good and Trump is on the side of evil. Um, so yeah, claim, claim your agency is something that you persuaded me on and I'm gonna try to use myself when I talk about personal responsibility. It is, um, it is, uh, it does seem to be more victim blamey to say personal responsibility. Whereas claim your agency is less victim blamey, but still makes the point. But you know, like Corey, it's like you said, there are good faith arguments. And just practically speaking, I mean, when you're looking at a, a specific policy, you might not agree with the concern of the conservative who's worried that proposed change is going to actually cause more harm than good. That's fine. I'm not saying you have to agree with them, right? But if they're right, then adopting whatever change is going to fix that problem would actually make the policy more progressive. You see what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so it's not just that conservative and progressive are not enemies. They truly need each other. You can't successfully progress in society while totally neglecting the concern of the conservative mindset. And you can't actually long-term successfully conserve the good things about society if you totally neglect the concerns of people who are worried about aspects of the status quo that are less than ideal. You need to kind of do both of those things. And, and really, I don't think that most people are 100% one or the other. I guess that's part of it. It's like, I, I reject the use of them as tribal identifiers. I don't think yeah. people should pick a team and say, I'm a progressive or I'm a conservative. I think that they should recognize that everybody needs a little bit of both. And it, the fact that some of us might have a more natural inclination toward thinking one way or the other is a sign that we need to put our heads together because two heads are better than one, right? Um, finally, on the be heard thing, um, that the, the, so, so the uh, claim your agency bit was your innovation, Corey. I, I'm going to take credit for be heard. That came up in um, the conversation with New Progressive Voice. Um, and we were trying to talk about a way to de-radicalize populists. Because populists seem to think they're, they're the ones who lean toward accelerationism. They're not willing to compromise. They're not willing to be, be part of a, a cohesive narrative. They are the uh, wrong side of the real divide. So how, how, insofar as we can de-radicalize them, we should. Um, but like I said, realistically, you're only gonna be able to maybe persuade five or 10% of them. Long-term, if we can create through policies of Yang's more of a, um, a, more of a sense of trust in institutions, that'll de-radicalize them in a much bigger way. And I, I think that the, all this anti-liberal sentiment will eventually mo mostly go away. It'll never completely go away because nothing ever completely goes away. Um, but you know, in the meantime, the five or 10% that we can de-radicalize, I think that's the way to do it. You know, because Corey pointed out that everybody, something that they all have in common, whether they think of themselves as left or right wing populists, something they all have in common is that they feel like they aren't being heard. And so it, it seems like an affirmative way to reach those people is to convince them that, the, that it's on them to be heard, that it's up to them to be heard. And specifically that the way to be heard is to vote in the primary and the way to be heard in the general election is to choose between the two real options. Because if you don't do that, you don't have a voice in the election. And the time to nominate somebody else is passed. So there's two steps to that. Pick a party, vote in its primary, and then vote for somebody in the general election. That's the yeah. only way to be heard in our well, system. The degree to which you don't like the party that you pick is the amount of energy that you put into ranked choice voting. 
right? Yeah, like, or also just like, like that, I'm kind of summing up, like the, the whole point is the way to be heard is to pick a solution that is viable and functional and tested and possible and good and then work towards that, right? And that, that you know, that especially like where your vote as a, just a function of practical voting, where that has the most power is the primary, right. period, right? Where that has no positive value, no positive value, and a massive potential negative value is in the general if you vote right. third party, right? Yeah, the general like election, just, honestly, a big part of this is just laziness. I mean, it's just, if you, if you think about it, people who complain that there are only two options in the general election must be lazy because they could not have participated in the primary. Because if they right. had, they would know way more than two options, right? And so, like, it's just, like, I, I, they, they don't have any credibility. I'm not going to spend time talking to them about policy. The only thing there is to say to somebody like that is you need to have a voice. It's, it's up to you to claim your agency and be heard. That's all there is to say it, to say to them, because until they do that, they're not good faith actors in the system. They're not part of the cohesive narrative. They're not uh, helping. They're hurting. They're hurting. Um, yeah. Okay. So do you want to say it this time, Corey? Moving forward is our mother effing gumbo. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Rio and I are so excited that the Humanity First movement is moving forward. Something you can do to help is go to movingforwardpod.com where you can find us on social media, read our blog, and support us on the Patreon. Right, Rio? Right. I guess I'll just say it on the podcast, but I think that the progressive and conservative coming together thing needs to be something that we really work on working in into the broader political conversation in general. Um, yeah, that's actually something that came up on coffee this morning because there's always, you know, there's still some people sort of in the, in the progressive wing. They're like, oh my God, Biden's not going to magically instill the entire progressive agenda. I'm like, no, like we've got to deal with the fact that it's a third Nazis and the rest of us need to come together in a super majority party until we have ranked choice voting and hash all this stuff out. Like that, right. and, we don't, and, we don't get to magically make part, it different, yeah. right? Yeah. And, okay. and Biden's I think, I think, bringing I, everyone into the conversation and actually listening, right? Like, yeah. like he's actually open to having that discussion in a really, you know, kind of integral way. <laughs>